Welcome to Pixel What You Preach, hosted by Victoria Goldsmith, the podcast that dives into conversations with game developers and professional creatives, explores the mysterious realms of game development, self-improvement, and draws inspiration from real-life experiences. The team's on the search for a sponsor for the project, so if you'd like to be part of the podcast, please get in touch. Hi, and welcome to Pixel What You Preach. Today, we have Seb back again. I feel like we need a nickname for you, almost like the the goo. Seb is my nickname. <laughs> um, yeah, so we were kind of uh, chatting recently on Twitter, weren't we, just kind of about, you know, the industry at the moment. And, you know, this week, Builder Rocket Boy have said that they're laying off more people. And then I'll sort of message Seb and I'll be like, what's going on Seb like what what are we doing like what you know what's happening so I just thought it'd be cool just to kind of jump up and have a chat really do you think these layoffs like what is going on well I mean, it's it's in the it's a trend mm. it seems it's, everything's there to make shareholders more happy I mean and I mean seen two quite cynical ones recently uh build a rocket boys getting an investment of 110 million or something and then i see i don't get that i don't understand because they've opened like a lot of studios without having had a single release yet yeah and then they've got the funding i don't get why they'd let staff off because they've got to presumably build the game and then support it you'd imagine so uh, yeah unless they're intending to outsource some of their work to a cheaper place but point not in their heads so can guess We've also had Epic, of course, recently and doing a good chunk. I think it was 900 people they canned as well. And then just a week or two later, announcing the big deal with Disney, which was an incredible amount of money as well, which would have been on the cards for a very long time. I can only imagine that the layoffs are connected to that, that they had to uh, bolster their share price or something by doing these rounds of... Do you think that things are going to get better sort of the next financial year, sort of after April? Or do you think it's going to continue for a while? That's what everybody says, but it's not based on any kind of real metrics or data or whatever. The redundancies have seemed to slow down, at least. We're not having a big one every day anymore like we did during the first four or five weeks of the year. But there's still a couple big players that haven't announced any redundancies yet that might still come along seeing as they're watching everybody else do it we saw it last year in the tech industry when i think amazon started it by laying off like twelve thousand people or something and then facebook followed suit and a lot of the other big players have since followed suit it seems like there's a trend happening and if people aren't following the trend then the shareholders are going to start going why aren't you doing this everybody else is doing this you should also start cutting workforce and shareholder says jump then stuff seems to happen i kind of feel like people are getting a bit bored of big studios as well because they're kind of doing you know like a lot of remasters and then they'll do sequels and then you know we've just had suicide squad come out and that's not done you know that well but at the same time we've had new spider-man come out and that did 10 million copies which is still- yeah but I, I kind of feel like they always have like the odd one don't they but you know, we've just had um, Power World and Helldivers go like crazy, and they're they're quite small teams, like the tiny. 
you know they can't keep up with you know the servers and the content so it's kind of almost like finding this middle balance isn't it i mean suicide squad probably was always destined to fail at this point 10 years in development do you do you think that's like a a bit of a thing as well because i think with bigger companies they take longer don't they to make a game and then by the time they come out are they kind of too dated for what people want if you're going to take 10 years to make a game then yes but i mean suicide squad was, was started when superhero films and the whole genre was still very much alive and we haven't hadn't had the superhero fatigue yet that we have and obviously the dc movies that have come out since haven't really fired on all cylinders as well so i think everybody's just kind of sick of the genre and dc at the same time so they've been a little bit unlucky there i haven't played the game myself yet so i can't really have too much of an opinion but it's, it's not gotten the greatest of critical reviews and it's obviously not done too well commercially either unfortunately. Yeah. i mean I'm, I'm quite a hopeful person <laughs> I like to think I am, and uh, I kind of feel like we might see more outsourced companies starting up. Like I think a lot of sort of professionals will be like, you know, I'm going to start an outsourced company to support other studios, and I think we are going to see a lot more independent studios because I think people are just getting fed up. I mean, when people get made redundant, that's if they can't find a job and. They still want to stay in the industry that's one of the few options that they have right is to start their own studio in the uk apparently we're retiring when we're 71. it's like i i can't <laughs> i love games i'm not working till i'm 71 like you know with all these redundancies it's flipping crazy and maybe i need to start my own studio and then sell it to tencent or something. yeah why not no <laughs> no <laughs> because then we have the same problem as we do now everybody just cashing in and not building sustainably you can like start your studio and then retire keep it going and you can like go in once a week with your slippers and your coffee and oh yeah that looks good move that and then walk out and just <laughs> shout at a whiteboard let me say shout you can you can point and bring cookies in they'll love you i could just zoom in from the costa del sol i don't need to go into the studio for that so things will take a while to get back on their feet but what do you think is going to happen? Do you think there is much hope? Well, the market itself is still selling, right? There's still money to be made. There probably is too many games getting released at the moment, too, or rather too much trash. There's a big reset happening of sorts, but the market itself is still strong. What we're probably missing is a console release again, which is a terrifying thing to say because it feels like the PS5 only just came out. Yeah, do we, yeah. Because I was just like, well, they're, they're talking about end of life for the PS5 already. And then I was like doing the math. I was like, oh, it's been out like five years now. So there is a lot of, you know, people starting in the industry, which is hard enough to get in the industry as it is. And then you've got people that are senior, experienced, like everyone's fighting for a job like at the moment. Yeah, it's quite brutal. And there's the universities or game courses or whatnot haven't slowed down spitting out people so the amount of people joining the games industry is very much eclipsing the amount of jobs out there right now and that's not good for the people who are going out and spending big money on their higher education to go into this field 
to quickly add to that, on top of all the juniors joining the industry, there's also been a lot of exodus of talent from places like Russia since, uh, you know, war and stuff like that. So in the last year or two, so definitely an increase in CVs from Russia as well. Do like you look at quite a lot of CVs. Like in the past, I've always asked you to just like, oh, you know, how does this look? Is the things that you see people do a lot, which is like, don't do that, or things people can do to get noticed? Um, things to do. Oh, I have, I've written many <laughs> presentations on this. Don't put your picture in it. Don't put your age in there. Uh, try and have something resembling a portfolio and experience, even if it's student projects try and do projects with others. Don't go overly crazy with the visuals. Just give me the information. I want to know who you are, what you did, what you like. I know like some people try and get a bit artsy. I think it should be clean yeah. and readable. Unless you're a UI designer, yeah. just make it clean. It Even then, UI designers have this tendency to then over complicate their CVs and just uh, good UI is clean and simple and you don't notice it necessarily. But when you're going on your CV, then that tends to tell me that you're maybe going to do crazy things to my UI yeah, in the game as well. Cause you've got to make every bit count. Like one of my pet peeves, and this is like no shade to anybody, but do you know when people put like a level bar, like out of five and they say, I'm this level. It's the worst thing ever. Cause it makes no sense. Cause it's like you, you're rating yourself. And I'm all for that, but it's just, that's taking space off your CV. Like you could be like, I'm experienced or I'm. Yeah. And people tend to limit themselves to the things that they're good at as well. And then I go, oh, I'm a five out of five in Photoshop. Okay. Does that mean you've stopped learning <laughs> Photoshop? You, there's never going to be an improvement possible beyond the five stars that you've given yourself. It kind of screams, I'm, I've stopped learning, which in games industry, obviously is like the last thing you can do at any junction. I don't think a CV should be longer than two pages. Would you agree with that? Yes, if possible, without making it too messy. Uh, start with the most, you can fill out the most recent information. You can go a little bit broader and the further back you go, say if you were working doing shelves and Tesco's in 96 or something, you can probably leave that off or, you know, condense it to a single line. Uh, the last couple of years, obviously more important. Yeah. One thing that I advise everybody to do is get feedback on your CV, have multiple people proofread it because the amount of CVs I get with spelling errors or grammar errors in them, that just shows me you've not actually, you know, spent any real time on this. You just get thrown out into the world and have no eye for detail or correcting your own work. That's astonishing. I think, I think that's really good. Like, um, I'm dyslexic, so. I always read things like a couple of times, three times, and then if it's something important like a big cover letter or a CV, I always get a friend of mine who's an academic in literature. <laughs> so she like she reads it and then she's like, oh, you know, like she'll highlight things. So I think that's that's good. Mentioning the motivation letter or the opening letter, I think it's it's a little bit of a throwback, but I think it's still necessary. And one thing I'm seeing a trend of, which is really quite annoying. You can smell it a mile off. You open it, it already has a structure with the bullet points in the middle and like the closing paragraph and it's 2000 words. And it's like, this is written by ChatGPT and I can see it immediately. If you see it, 
do you just think I can't be asked reading it because you kind of if I if I can't look at your CV within ten seconds and understand what's going on, uh, it's more and more likely that I'm going to push on. You cover as kind of an accomplish like it goes with your CV, but if someone did a cover letter and you could tell it was done with GPT, would you be like, "This person can't be asked. I'm not going to read it." In my head, it's like a little dial that goes back and forth. You know, just stick to why you're applying, why you think you're the right person, and especially if you're doing some kind of weird mm-hmm. sidestep, build a case for yourself for the job that yeah. you're applying for. Um, <laughs> when you apply for jobs and then you don't hear back, it's really annoying because you're kind of you're not getting any further. It's like I always think after two weeks, if you've not heard anything, it's, it's, it's fine to chase up. And well, I, I mean, you're yeah. laughing. Like, I think you should, you took the time. Yeah. Two weeks is quite brutal. Cause it, it often, uh, if you think you might only have like the recruitment meeting once a month or something to go through the applications. Uh, I think after a month. A month. Be. Okay. Like we'll go, we'll go with a month. <laughs> I applied for a job at a company. I actually went through it with a recruiter at the time and I didn't hear back and then the recruiter chased them up and I didn't hear anything. I was just like, this is really weird. So like I went on LinkedIn and I, I went to find if I had any connections that worked at the company that I could message and say, can you chase this application up? And I had somebody that was that worked there and uh, they chased it up and they found all my stuff and I got the job and it was it just got lost because at the time they were changing over how they were doing the recruitment but if I hadn't have chased it I wouldn't have got that job I mean often enough there's like a oh we'll get to that later pile someone comes in uh, changes sees that pile and just kind of throws it in the bin you know it's like oh we're starting fresh today um but uh my, my absolute best advice for actually the interviews is to remember that it's two ways even if you're like a junior starting out ask about benefits ask about culture ask about uh how the company is doing what a working day looks like the the question shouldn't just be going one way you're going to be the one working for them making them products making them money ultimately but you should be interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you and if you're finding that it's just like one-way traffic and they're just kind of grilling you and giving you a hard time that might be a sign that you're going to have a hard time when you eventually work there as well yeah exactly you're spending a lot of time there you need to kind of open that up and if they're being really defensive then like you said it's kind of a bit of a red flag one of my well it's my favorite tip for interviews I always do a three-minute power pause before the interview, uh-huh. and it it makes a massive difference. Like there's a TED talks about it. You can do, you know, like the superhero pause. You can like, you know, just sit straight. Right, right, right. Yes, yes, yes. It has to be three minutes because it changes the chemicals in your brain. And they did a whole test, and it does work because it's like when you go for an interview like what do you do you kind of like you hunch up you make yourself smaller and you're looking at other people maybe in the same room and it's first impressions really really count you can't change your first impression body language eye contact and all that and that's obviously 
more difficult if you say like new and virgin or something like that, but it's something that you can practice to a degree and you can alert people to as well. Um, one thing I, I've always done because I'm from the producer background is I'll ask the person who, who's interviewing me is like, what, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing like day in, day out on a project or something like that. And I get them to, to, to do a lot more of the talking because the less talking you do yourself, the less likely you are to fuck up the interview. But if you get the interview talking more and explaining a situation, you get into like a dialogue, you go into critical thinking together, you go into problem solving together. They see how your thinking works. You see how they work. You can already kind of play working together, like problem solving with this person, because that's ultimately what you do as a producer. And one other thing I, I've done on not every occasion, but a lot of occasions is have them explain all the various problems to me and then I'll go away. And if I actually want the job, I'll go away and I'll do a report after the interview as well. It's like, mm -hmm. these are the problems that you stated. These are the things I would do day one, month one, year one, you know, however you want to structure and send that to them and go, thanks guys. It's been really fun. Nice. That, that's, that's good. And obviously that's, you know, a bit more effort, but yeah. as long as the things that you write into that, uh, kind of semi-cohesive and not completely insane, then that sh might give you the edge over someone else. Yeah, I, th I think this is like another good point is always research the company. You, you know what they're working on, know what they have worked on. Even like look at who's working at the company, do a bit of research and find out what their experience is. Especially the interviewer that you're going to talk to. Find common ground, you know. Uh, I, I, I look at the LinkedIn and I see where they worked, you know, mm. and I go, oh, cool. They worked on a game that I played myself, you know, you don't have to like call up the asses, but you know, at least you kind of show that you did a bit of research and so you know, appreciate what that person has done at yeah. some point. You've got to get over that creepiness of <laughs> looking at someone's profile because you know that it'll say that you've looked at their, their profile. Yeah, I, I actually like that. If I see... <laughs> If I'm interviewing someone and I see that they've looked at my profile, that's that's a, a little dial goes in the positive again, because that shows they're actually doing active research on the job that they're going to be doing. Yeah. Absolute bonus points for me. Mm. So th this is like probably like a nice little story to like wrap up with. So when I first moved to London, I was working at an architectural company and I was there for 10 months and then they laid everyone off. And I was looking for a job and I'd already been working on this Unreal project and it was this little low poly campsite and I wanted to get into games but I hadn't really had that job and I applied at Improbable which is where you were working at the time and again you're not you're a producer you're not from an artist background but you saw that work and the projects you had at the time was kind of that style mm -hmm. it's finding that that thing with what connects with somebody. If you don't get the job that you apply for, it doesn't mean that you're not good enough. Maybe you don't have the thing that they need then. And maybe if you applied in six months or two years, then you'd fit. So just, you know, as absolute luck and more. Yeah. yeah. So I hope I hope like, you know, this is this has helped some people and then, you know, if there's anything anyone wants to ask, you know, just like I'll message me and I'll try and help and maybe we can do some more little chats like this yes hope hope, hope. was the theme for yeah, today right I think, I think this is good I'm still going to call it hope yeah so remember it's your adventure